Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. The more I've lived my life, the more I've valued good leadership. It's a tough thing to be a leader in so many ways today, not just political leaders, but those who seek to be out in front in a whole range of life circumstances. And there's much to learn from leaders who lead well, no matter whether you're a leader or a follower. It can be a great motivator, get us thinking about our place in the world, how we can do life better. Mac Peer is the founder of the New York City Leadership Center. He's written a book called Consequential Leadership, about 15 influential leaders, people who understand what it means to live, as Mac describes it, as a person of consequence. These people have been drawn from business, government and the Christian community, a range of activists, all of whom have a prayer for the future. Mac Peer, welcome to Open House. Well, thank you so much. It's a great uh, contribution, Mac. Not everyone gets, though, the importance of leadership. How has that become evident to you? I've lived in New York since uh, 1984. I grew up in a small Midwestern community, and we moved to New York uh, at a time when the uh, the city was experiencing an enormous amount of violence. Um, and we saw the murder rate in New York City climb over a decade to 2,400 murders in 1994. And we, we saw the absence of leadership in the governmental community, the spiritual community, that really had a dramatic impact on the lives, on the, on the lives of millions of people in our city. New York really went through a really dramatic renaissance over the last 15 to 18 years in many ways. Uh, that really happened as a result of people uh, in different arenas of life, government, the faith community, the marketplace, uh, who really, really saw some of what needed to be done and exercised initiative to make those things happen. If you look at how they led, what would you say was the essence of good leadership? What are the factors that made up that leadership that changed things, made a difference? I think good leadership really begins with defining reality. I, I think about Mayor Giuliani uh, when he came into office in the 90s, and he saw the crime rate that was just out of control. And he he understood that to create a safe city, you needed to implement certain policies and philosophies of government. So leadership really begins with defining what needs to happen. And then one of the, the definitions that I love of, about leadership, which I heard first from Bill Hybels, he said, leadership understands how to get from there to here and defining where here is and where there is. And he, he would say leadership, leaders do what leadership requires. And so getting good definition around what the realities are, we call them stubborn facts, which is a phrase from John Adams in 1790. He said you can feel whatever you feel about certain things, but facts are stubborn things. And so we, we really worked hard at defining our realities uh, spiritually as well as uh, socially, uh, and and really attempting to address those issues. And leadership is so often not about being popular. In fact, sometimes it's an unpopular thing to be a leader. Absolutely. Uh, you know, leaders oftentimes have to be counterintuitive. Uh, it, one of the things that I, I've appreciated in, in, in our own journey in understanding leadership is is really understanding what we need to be discontent with as a f- person of faith learning what it means to enter into, into God's discontent about the way things are, whether people are far from God or people are living in substandard conditions, whether it's context of poverty or context of 
of injustice. Uh, it, there's, a, there's a real invitation to enter into uh, God's concern over those things. Mac, who would you rate as one of the most influential leaders in your life? How did they impact you and why were they significant, would you say? A lot of people that I've interviewed over the years, I think two people, interestingly, tend to be very influential at a very personal level. Uh, a lot of our mothers were very influential because of the way that they, they, they really gave themselves to us. That was true of my mom. Uh, she, she never got the chance to go to college, but she did everything she needed to do to make sure that all, all five of uh, her children got to college. And then I was particularly impacted by a high school English teacher uh, who saw in me some initial ability to write and speak, and she would travel with me all over the state to be part of contests. So they were very influential uh, initially in my life. So you clearly approach this whole question of leadership from a Christian framework, and the New York City's Leadership Center website, its vision says it's to become a model of Christian leaders impacting the spiritual and social climate of an urban center. You're not just interested, though, in religious questions. It's more how our broader community can work better, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, one of, the, one, of the great, uh, one of the great sections of the Old Testament uh, is, is the books of Nehemiah, Ezra, and Esther. They're all written from the context of Persia or modern-day Iran. And it represents for us uh, kind of a, a model of how you impact a city. Uh, Ezra renewed the temple and, and really uh, brought about spiritual renewal for, for God's people. Uh, Nehemiah mobilized the marketplace to, to rebuild the, the walls of Jerusalem. And Esther had to change the law in order to bring about justice for her people. And so there are lots of spiritual issues in city, but cities, but there are also a lot of what we call common grace issues, issues like education and housing and issues that really affect the quality of life. And we believe that cities are really important to God and that, that the, the, the theme of the, the New Testament is very much an urban theme, and the Bible actually ends up in a city. And we believe that uh, the New Jerusalem is, is really God's final metaphor for the church. And so it's important for us to understand cities and how they impact the the lives of people spiritually as well as practically. Mac, what do you take from the life and the teachings of Jesus that you apply to leadership in our age, 2,000 plus years on from when he lived? Well, there's several things. I I would just mention a a few. Um, Jesus had a very clear understanding of who he was in the context in which he lived. Jesus understood that he was a first century Jew living in the Roman Empire he, he was born as, as an, uh, an Asian-born baby and became an African refugee. Uh, and I think context really matters, that, that, that we need to understand who we are in the context in which we live. I live in New York City, which I think is the most influential city in the history of the world. And so I take that very seriously and am and, and always asking the question, what can we do not only to impact New York, but to impact other cities around the world? Because the world is becoming uh, so much, so urban, so rapidly. And then you, in, in the life of Jesus, you see the, the great intentionality that he had, the way he called his disciples, he invested in them. He spent 50% of his, of, his, of his time with just 12 people. And so the need to be intentional about those that we're investing in within our family, within our organizations, within our churches, um, and he... He had a plan. I mean, Jesus went to die in Jerusalem, the religious capital of the world. 
And Jesus understood that his movement would be born out of an urban context. And, and when you read the New Testament, uh, Paul went to die in Rome as the political capital of the world. And so geography matters, and I think that's one of the, one of the important lessons of Jesus' life. And yet he was a servant, and he was a humble servant. Uh, Jim Collins, another leadership guru, has developed this highly significant model for leadership called Level 5 Leadership. I'm sure you've heard about that. And he says it's humility that makes truly great leaders great. Yeah, humility is really the glue, I think, that holds a community together. Um, And one of the values that we have in our work here is to create platforms for other people. Uh, as, As someone who comes out of a Caucasian background, I'm very mindful of the fact that over 90% of the active Christians in New York are minority and immigrant. And so part of our passion is to really create opportunities to elevate leaders from very diverse communities that, that normally don't have as much opportunity, much as many resources. And so we're very committed uh, to do whatever we can from a posture of humility to advance uh, what other people are trying to do and to celebrate that. Uh, so that, that I love, I do love Collins' definition. He talks about the importance of humility and then the importance of being absolutely determined in whatever it is that, that you're called to do. When we hear the word leadership, Mac, I think most of us imagine people leading big organizations or endeavors or governments, but significant leadership doesn't always have to be on a grand scale. Now, I think leadership always begins with self-leadership, that that we have to lead ourselves, and that we have to uh, we have to exercise discipline in a variety of ways: spiritual disciplines, physical disciplines, other kinds of disciplines. Uh, many of us have to give leadership inside of our homes, uh, if we're parents or or we have siblings. Uh, we we all have a leadership assignment uh, at in, in various ways. In all of our workplaces, we have the opportunity, and people people are really eager to be led. People. Will, are responsive to those that will show initiative, that, that have a sense of direction on, on where they're going. Um, so there are just limitless opportunities to exercise leadership. On Open House, we're with Mac Pierre, the author of Consequential Leadership. So, Mac, can you define what you mean by consequential leadership? What is that? How does it look? I think that a leader is consequential when they are making measurable difference against either the, the greatest spiritual, social, or humanitarian challenges of their day. And I believe that consequential leadership also happens in the context of a spiritual community, that we can do a certain amount in our own strength and cleverness, and we do it in concert with a community or with an alliance of people in faith, and it can be very significant. So that's how I, how I think about it. And I, I, I use the word consequential because... Uh, we're, we're facing enormous challenges in each of our contexts that are in and of themselves very consequential, and so our leadership needs to be of such a magnitude that we can make a measurable progress. As I said at the top, you've looked at the lives and leadership of 15 consequential leaders in your book, Tell Their Stories. I'd love to go through a few of them with you sure. to ask you about them and what makes them distinct in terms of leadership. Can we start with Tim Keller from Redeemer Presbyterian in New York? Sure. Uh, Tim's been a good friend for over 20 years. I moved to New York in 1984. Tim moved in about 1987. Started Redeemer Presbyterian around about 25 years ago, roughly. What's so significant about what Tim has done, 
he moved to Manhattan in the late 1980s when we think there are roughly nine to 10,000 active Christians in, in, an, in an island of 1.5 million people. Very secular, uh, very difficult. New York was just in a, in a very violent place in the 80s. And Tim came with the support of his denomination, Presbyterian Church of America, and he said there were, I think, 400 congregations that were praying for the successful establishment of Redeemer Presbyterian. So Tim estimates 150,000 people were praying for him. And over the last 25 years, uh, Tim and his team have helped establish 200 churches in major cities all over the world. Tim's really become the most effective urban church planner on the globe. And we think the Christian population in Manhattan over 20 years has grown by almost 400%. And when you think about the context of doing it in a place that's very expensive and very secular, that's a very significant achievement. And how has he led that? He's a couple of things. Uh, Tim, Tim has really learned how to preach a very strong message uh, of, about the gospel. Tim would use the word grace to describe... Uh, the nature of God. He said that God, but what we realize uh, when we're fully awakened spiritually is that we, we are more lost than we had, ever, we had ever imagined, but we're more loved than we had ever dared to hope. And that's, that's his message. And Tim's been able to articulate it in a way to a kind of skeptical New Yorker. Uh, he, he, understands, uh, he understands the questions and the issues uh, we say that Tim has, has learned how to become flypaper to the culture, that he's been able to answer people's questions and to satisfy them and then to point them to the credibility of the gospel, the credibility of the person of Jesus, and in a very winsome way, uh, attract them to faith. And, and the greatest uh, attribute that Tim has is he's a very humble person. And he that's part of why he's been so successful for so many years is that um, his humility and his intellect uh, really have been very attractive to people, not just in New York, but from all over the world. I, when John Stott died a year or so ago, I really think that Tim became the spiritual and intellectual heir uh, of John Stott, and just making an enormous contribution to the faith community all over the world. He certainly is. Let's go through another couple of people. Richard Stearns from World Vision. You've listed Richard. Yeah, uh, I met Rich Stearns in uh, 2000. And one, uh, he had just he became president of World Vision in 1998. He came out of a uh, he was the CEO of an organization, Lennox, uh, that sold fine china, and he was put forth as a candidate to become the president of World Vision. Uh, with enormous fear and trembling, uh, Rich took on that assignment in 1998, and he did two things that I thought were very significant. One is that he called World Vision to really be committed to the local church. Uh, not just an organization that does brilliant mass marketing, which it does, but to really be committed to the local church. And then he called the church to be committed to address the need of widows and orphans as a result of the AIDS pandemic. The AIDS pandemic began in the early 1980s, and over a 30-year period, I think the number is something like 40 million people were affected by HIV and AIDS, uh, 6,000 children every day being orphaned by HIV and AIDS. And during the first 14 years or so of Rich's leadership, he grew the annual income of World Vision U.S. from about $350 million to about $1.2 billion. And that translated into enormous assistance uh, to widows and orphans, especially in East and South Africa, 
Uh, and World Vision's work there is just absolutely brilliant. It's it's helping create long-term sustainability in, in communities that have been ravaged by poverty and by disease. And again, how did he lead Richard Stevens? He, he, he defined reality uh, for, for the, the, the Christian church. He said that... Uh, he said the AIDS pandemic is the greatest humanitarian crisis in human history, and we as the church have to step up and do something about it. When, uh, when he became president, they did a survey, and they found that only, I think the number was 3% of people in churches would be willing to support a child that was orphaned or impacted by HIV and AIDS because of the stigma attached to that. And so Rich and World Vision really created a very important educational campaign. The people really understood that the majority of people who get AIDS get it innocently and are just, their lives are, are completely devastated by something they had absolutely no control over. And so the, the education, the call to action uh, was something that Rich did very effectively. The final leadership example I want to highlight is Alan and Catherine Barnhart. This is an amazing story to identify what they did, but again also how they did it, how they led. Yeah, they, you know, as very young people, uh, they got married in their 20s. I think Alan was 25 and Catherine was 22. And Alan was very impacted in 19, by, the, by the book that Ron Sider wrote in 1979 called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. And so as a very young person, Alan was gripped by the, the needs of global poverty and the poor around the world. And they made a, a, a very significant decision as young people uh, they had first thought about being missionaries, but Alan felt like he would be better at starting a company. They started a company, and they decided they were going to live like missionaries and give the rest of the profits away in philanthropy and to the, to the cause of mission. And so beginning about 25 years ago, uh, they they formed a foundation within their company, and the Grove Foundation, uh, over 25 years, they've given away about $70 million dollars. Uh, they've supported probably over 80 agencies around the world. Uh, and it's been remarkable uh, to see what, what they've done from a philanthropic standpoint. Uh, it's, it's a great story. And I suppose, again, you'd have to say there is great humility at the center of their story. In fact, that's one of the words that they they use. They use an acronym, and, and the first letter is H, which stands for humility. They really take uh, stewardship uh, very seriously and the reallocation of God's resources and wanting to make the greatest possible difference. I think this has all been a really important and consequential offering to the world, this consequential leadership book. I don't know how you stopped at 15. <laughs> it must have been quite a juggle. Well, part of... Uh Part of why the people were chosen in the book, uh, I, I, I knew all of them, so they were people that I had uh, access to. And we had a conference last week. Uh, we started a, a, a one-day Congress called Movement Day in New York, and I, I set it up so that when the book would come out in time for the event. And so everybody that was in the book was at the conference itself, with a couple of exceptions, George Gallup, who's in the book, died last November, and one other person couldn't make it, but the other 13 were all there. And so it was an opportunity for people to read about the people that they were listening to throughout the day. And so it was really, it was a fun effort, and everybody was very cooperative, and I really appreciated people's generosity. As I said, it's an important contribution for the world, I think. Mac Peer, thank you very much indeed for your time. The book is Consequential Leadership, and we'll post the details up on our Open House community Facebook page. Great to talk, Mac. Thank you so much.
We hope you enjoyed this open house podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.